we're starting to get to that season, church, where everything just goes nuts, doesn't it? Where there's a demand every week, whether it's be a social event, I've got to see family, got to get my last minute shopping, whatever. This is the time when focus is lost really, really easy, yeah? And uh, Pastor Tony and I, we've, we've said on many occasions, Christmas and the summer holidays are murder because trying to keep you focused and keep pushing to where we need to push through is always a difficult thing. But learn to balance your life, yeah? Keep the main thing the main thing. My mum always used to say, the best thing I like about Christmas is Christmas Eve at six o'clock. Why? Because when it's not done, it's not done. You can't go and buy it. There's nothing else. If you forgot it, you forgot it. Yeah, so plan, prepare, build, but don't lose pace of where the house is moving and what God is saying. Amen. Last week, we touched on seasonal encounters, did we not? And we had some testimonies and people shared life about how God was breaking through, how things were being touched, situations were being turned around. We said that up till Christmas, God had given us a specific word into the house that up till Christmas, not that he wouldn't do it after, but there was an open window, a window of acceleration, an epoch of time, a kairos moment for some of you who want to do your Greek and Hebrew study, where God was saying there is healing, there is breakthrough, there is restoration, and the list that dropped down, this is your time to get on board. Hence the reason why we said the Debenham sale starts nine o'clock Thursday. There is a window of opportunity, which I'm sure if they did say there was a 50% sale, you might have been around there and got a greater response. But our hearts are open to what God's doing. Now, we turned around and said that of everything that Pastor Tony had been speaking about, the last thing he mentioned before he went to Malaysia was to challenge our motives. Why are we looking to change? Why do you do what you do? Is it to be seen? Is it to have a greater value? Is it to build your esteem? What is the reason or what is your motive behind what you do? And we turned that around, didn't we, and said the question that God put back was, you never asked me what my motive was for seeing you changed and transformed as a people. We used a scripture from Genesis 1.27 where it said that man was made in God's image. He created male and female. He created them to subdue and have dominion, to fill the earth, to expand the garden, to rule and to reign. Those things didn't change from the beginning all the way through to present day. God didn't change. He still has a people after his own heart who is looking to, to move and build. We said that God was a revolutionary. That he created some things that some things happened in Genesis and the first creation of man that had never been seen before. That God created female. That there was no female form in heaven. But yet he made a female to be partner with the male. We saw that there was a song of the redeemed, that we can sing a song that the angels can't sing. We sing a song that we was lost and now have been found. We bring that and we sing and we break open heaven. And then we finish with Ephesians 3 and verse 10, which was his intent was now through the church. When is it? Now. We talked about now moments, seasons, suddenlies of God where he can break open on a scene. This was a word that was given 2,000 years ago, and it didn't change. His intent is now through the church. His manifold wisdom should be made known. So the uh, kids' church and some of the youth, and no doubt any, uh, anybody else who's free on Saturday, will go on the precincts and will start to declare, start to take the church outside the doors. 
His intent is now, through the church, his manifold wisdom should be made known. But it brings us down to a moment. If you remember, I gave you a scripture last week that says that you and I, and we'll read it in a little while, because it's further down my notes, where you and I are made for signs and wonders. Well, <laughs> I think maybe you need convincing slightly, but you and I are made for signs and wonders. Now, I have a ton of stuff that I've wrote down here. And if I go at it, I'll go at it like a bullet a gate. So I'm trying to be on my best behavior so that I can put us on the page, yeah? Anne said to me yesterday, have you got everything for Sunday? I said, Anne, it's not the problem that I've got everything for Sunday. I said, I woke up this morning with more for Sunday. So this stuff where I want to get us on the page, where I believe that these things that God wants to say in my heart this morning is not to convey what Phil wants to say, but what is the message that God has for us this morning. Amen. So I'm trying just to pace myself slightly. But as you know me, as I get slightly more giddy, the pace will increase. So that's why we have podcasts, and that's why we have MP3s where you can slow fill down. And if you slow him down, it'll probably be the normal speed that you should listen to, okay? But here's the thing. If we are made for signs and wonders, everything starts and stops with little old you and little old me. Because God is looking for a vehicle, because his intent is, his manifold wisdom should be made known. And his wisdom is made known through you and me. Let's deal with some very basic principles. The basic principles are this. Even if we look at the story from Genesis, that when Adam sinned and um, fell away, the first thing he did was to cover his nakedness. He went out, he made himself an Armani apron of fig leaves, and he stood before God. You know, the issue with you and I is that we're more concerned of how we look on the outside than what we are of responding to God. I'm more bothered about the opinion of somebody sat next to me than what I am of God's asking us to do this, he's calling us forward, he's moving us out. God wants to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. The problem that we have is always me. Lonnie Bingle wrote a great book, uh, and we had it for sale in, in church for a while, which was The Enemy in the Mirror. The biggest enemy you ever face is not the devil. It's not that a big demon sat at the bottom of your bed and told you you couldn't do it. You woke up in the morning, you turned on your bathroom light, you looked in the mirror, and there became your daily problem. The problem was, just look. And you know, whether you're male or female, it's all about, I'm a grooming do I look right? Is my hair right? Have I got any cabbage in my teeth? Did I have a shave? What about the spot? A spot on my nose. Oh, no. you know the whole thing? We had, you know, we had the wedding a few weeks ago. And again, we want to thank you as a family for the help of the church and your support that you gave to us on that wonderful day. But the next big thing was, what if I've got a spot? It's amazing. You look and say, you do realize you're three of you sat here this morning, don't you? And your issue is, what if I've got a spot? Our conditions that we carry in life, we're so concerned about how we come across to everybody else. And then I don't communicate too good. I'm not the tallest. Maybe I carry a bit of weight. Maybe I didn't have the best upbringing. Maybe I wasn't given what I needed to help me push through. Do you know what? A domino effect starts to happen in life that you let one small thing 
pile on, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the drip drip gets heavier and heavier, and your bucket gets fuller and fuller. It's time to get rid of the bucket. Because the things that have held us back, the things that have restricted us, when we look at them in the cold light of day, have you ever had it where you've broken out into a row or you've got a disagreement and then when you get to the end of it, it was all about something stupid like, but Veronica, it was your turn to make a cup of tea. But because now I've made the cup of tea, we now got into a row and everything all blew out of all proportions and it went down to, we're now in marriage guidance counselling. We sat before the counsellor and said, what is the issue? Veronica didn't make a cup of tea last Wednesday. It was her turn. Does that not sound petty? Do you ever fall, see your kids and when you fall out and you see how petty? Can I just let you know that you're just as petty as your kids? And so am I. And a lot of... Oh, <laughs> I'll move to this side of the room. <laughs> and we fall out over silly things, but the silly things become the stone in your shoe that becomes an irritation that gets bigger and bigger, that starts to get to... I now... I heard the term. Th- this was the term. You know, I, lo- I, said I, I said I got married. Well, I love her till the day that we died. Now it's a breathing. A breathing now does your head in. Where did it go from, I love you from eternity, I'll lay my life down to you, now it's your breathing. Does that not sound petty? That becomes the domino effect, that if you don't deal with things and issues in life, they seem just to get bigger and bigger, get all blown out of proportion, And the only person that starts missing out in life is you. Relationships start to get... (laughs) As I said, I think I'll stay on this side of the room. (laughs) We've got a little bit of marriage counselling going on this side. But the issues are like this, even though that might just sound funny, the stuff that I've said. We always believe that everybody else, it's to their benefit that they change. We always believe, you know, have you been in a church, been in church and you've heard a sermon and, and I'm sorry, I'll just have to use his name because I'm sat looking at him. And I go, this is brilliant for Kev. Why isn't Kev listening to this? It's always for somebody else. Everybody else can change. Everybody else can develop. Everybody else can pray for somebody else. Everybody else can see a breakthrough. Everybody else can find the faithfulness of God. Everybody else can have intimacy in their quiet time. Everybody else, why not me? Why not you? Why not now? Why not here? In the process, God has no favorites. The same price bought you as the same price as it bought me. It wasn't like, oh, Phil was a whoopsie deal and he just fell in and it was the, uh, when he's gone, he's gone. It was literally the price of salvation was the same for all of us. The value for you is just as great as the value for me. God wants to speak to you just as much as he wants to speak to me or Pastor Tony. Now, I'll let you into a little secret. It's not a secret, but it's a secret. I'll share something that I was talking to Pastor Tony about just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about intimacy and starting to build. And it's amazing. You know, you can come in. And the illustration I'll use is this. I'm a chicken, and I've just done my best. I've produced my best egg. 
And I come out and I am so proud of my egg that I've produced. And here I am, I want to show the world my egg. I've toiled all night and this has been the fruit of my labor, my egg. And then when you're showing your egg, somebody rolls in an ostrich egg and went, have you seen what they're doing next door? You always think that your little bit is never good enough. You always feel that your little bit never makes the mark and is never going to change anything. Back to Pastor Tony. Egg, ostrich. I was just said to him, I said, you know, I had a brilliant time this morning. Was just, I'd been walking the dog. God started to speak to me. It was brilliant. Got this, this, and this. Dropped down. I said, how's things going with you? And he went, well. I went into my quiet time next door. I went into my quiet time at quarter past nine. I stepped out of my quiet time at half past eight. <laughs> and you went, hang on a minute. In that nearly 12 hours, he went, oh, God was just downloading. It was brilliant. I can go, oh, the little bit that he said to me was nothing compared to what he was saying to Pastor Tony. I've tried to now measure my life compared to him. Bottom line is, wrong context, but we're in church, you know what we're talking about. This is his job. He has nothing to do but to seek the face of God and take care of us. We have jobs to, in my moment of time, this is it. I have two hours that I can give to God. Outside of that, I go and do my working day. But the thing is, we always believe that in our lack of value, God doesn't want to use me. And as long as I've got somebody like Pastor Tony or somebody who's got some time on the hand, they're the ones to be used. I spoke to somebody a few months ago and was having a conversation. The conversation went like this. Do you know when God said that there was a river of healing breaking out in the dream center? Yes. Do you know when God said that we're having breakthrough? Yes. Do you know when God said we're going to see these divine healings fall upon the lives of people? Yes. I've not seen many. Oh, you know, not, we're not seeing many. No, no, not seeing many healings. No, and I, 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 do you know what? Sometimes it gets me a bit frustrated. I say, well, can I just ask you a basic question? Uh, yes. When was the last time you prayed for somebody? Ah, I better shut up then, answer. Well, it's a good start. You're the answer. You're the answer. I don't want to embarrass him, but I'll use this, and I tell you, because I think that the testimony had already been shared when I was away. And that was, we did Agents of Change, and everybody got giddy after Agents of Change, did we not? And there were people, you prophesied for the first time, you spoke in tongues, you knew how to touch into a spirit dimension. Everything got lined up. You got fired up, did you not? Yeah, can we have that back again next week? But this was all the thing, we all got fired up. And what we actually got taught in Agents of Change is, you can make a difference. It starts with you. Yes, anybody Agents of Change, would you agree? Yes. Well, little old Kev actually decided that this might be true. So he's got a new neighbor. So he has his new neighbor, little pensioner who lives next door, and she called him in to fix the Wi-Fi and do have a little chat and would you like a brew? And she's hobbling because she's got arthritis of her knees. Doesn't work now, she's got arthritis of her knees. He's having a cup of tea and just goes, agents are change. I believe my God can heal you I believe my God can heal you. And she goes, well, I don't believe that kind of stuff. 
but I'm willing to give it a go. All right then. So I said, what do you do, Kev? He went, well, I'll just do what you do in church. Went out. Remember, he's not been around that long. Laid my hands on a knee, prayed. Walked away. Kind of went, right, should we finish the tea? Carried on like nothing had happened. Had a cup of tea. Next door, she bangs, next morning, she bangs on the door. I don't know what you've done, but why don't my knees hurt anymore? You and I are made for signs and wonders. We're made in his image. We are literally catalysts of what he wants to do in and through our lives. We know that, I'll give you that scripture now from Isaiah 8.18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel for the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. It tells us in Psalm 107 and verse 20, he sent forth his word and he healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Do you understand this? That the Holy Spirit cannot confirm until the Father speaks. What does that mean? Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surfaces of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Was the Holy Spirit always there? So why wasn't there any light? Because God hadn't spoke it. When God starts to declare something, like he declared over the house, up till Christmas... Breakthroughs, restoration, healing. There's a moment where he's pushing through. That is your remit and my remit to turn around and say, at every opportunity, I'm going to pray for the sick. At every opportunity, I'm going to look for my breakthrough. At every opportunity, I'm going to press into him more and more. For it's a now season. Do you remember the word that we, we gave last week from Revelation? Now has come salvation. Now has come authority, power, and the kingdom of our Christ. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Now has come. And that now has come is in you and I. God wants to confirm his word. So when we turn around and we declare that he's a God who heals, he's a God who brings great breakthrough, he's a God of restoration, he's a God of renewal, he's a God who changes lives and families and cities and, and countries, he's a God who can fix everything. God's waiting for the opportunity for you to be a conduit to say, that's it. I want to confirm my word in the life of Jenny. But I always think, it's not going to be me. Why should he choose little old me? Why would he speak to little old me? Why would he want to do anything through little old me? Because I've always been told I've never been good enough. I'm never smart enough. You never become anything. Guess what? Aren't you the perfect example and testimony that God wants to use? Because doesn't his word say he chooses the foolish things to confound the wise? Isn't the one that says, if I can take hold of a Jenny and allow her to demonstrate my life, is that not such a testimony where people go, where the heck did Jenny come from? Because as far as I'm concerned, she doesn't actually make it on the Richter scale of being able to be taken notice of or taken serious. Because you're just invisible. But when God starts to take hold of a life, he can do anything through you as long as he's allowed to finish his work in you.
Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth. He forms the spirit of a man within him. God's looking to see you formed on the inside. That's Zechariah 12 and verse 1, by the way. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note of these men had been with Jesus. Unskilled, ordinary men. Now I'll get to in a little bit the whole thing of charismania, where we came from, chasing signs and wonders, chasing the miraculous, chasing after the anointing. But let me show you a few things first. Why do we need signs and wonders? Where should signs and wonders be demonstrated in the first place? Signs and wonders should be demonstrated anywhere where you or I are found. Shall I give you some examples? How about government? Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen. In a political environment, God turned around and said, I'll show a government, I'll show a ruling nation where I can step in. Where are Pastor Tony and David at the minute? School of statesmen. What was the one thing for anybody who saw him on Facebook? He's a Facebook generation now, Pastor Tony. Facebook generation, what did he put? He said, I found the difference between a politician and a statesman. A politician is somebody who harbors and chases votes. A statesman statesman is a man who builds for generations. Signs and wonders that were performed in a political, governmental background to show and demonstrate that God is real. What's the biggest thing that people hold against the church? It has no relevance. What about the relevance for today? And what was it that was actually declared last week? If I read it correctly... I think it was even the heads of the Church of England were stating that with inside the next generation, it won't exist. God's not changed. You and I are carriers of hope and light. What about the marketplace? Marketplace. Downtown Drolsden, next Saturday, 10 o'clock, free hot chocolate. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This was the disciples saying, in your very midst, in the marketplace, not hidden away in some dark corner, we demonstrated God. What about the temple? Now Peter and John went up together to the temple on the hour to pray, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask him for those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for arms. And fixing his eyes on them, John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus, walk. Temple, marketplace, government. Wherever you are, 
if you are a carrier and a conduit for God to move, he's looking for the opportunity. You don't have to sit there and pray every day, God, give me an opportunity. Give me an opening. Give me an opportunity. Give me an opening. Just live. Just carry him. And if you carry him, you'll find the opportunities. Amen. And why does question, you know me the way I think. Why does he turn around and say, silver and gold I do not have? This is a man who supported in his ministry. He has numerous fishing businesses, which continued. And why do I know that they continued? Because he said that when Christ was crucified, he went back to his businesses. He's got money in his pocket. It's not that Peter and John don't have anything. He says, if I meet your need today with a bacon sandwich, you'll still need one tomorrow. But what I have will change your circumstances and your situation. You're carrying something in your life that will see other people changed. Not only you, but you live for the benefit of others. You're carriers of hope. You're carriers of life. You know, some days all you can do is give a bacon sandwich. You know, it's better to do that than to do nothing. But yet the hope that we carry will see people's lives transformed. And hopefully you're seeing a life transformed because you've got one. The worst thing that can be said is, Jenny's really nice, she goes to church. It's not about being nice. Can I let you into a little secret? I've read the scriptures and nice is not a fruit of the spirit. (laughs) Not that I don't have to be nice, but please let that not be the thing that's written on my epitaph. Phil was nice. Yeah, I was waiting for your response there, Dawn. That's why I give that, that pause. No, seriously, guys, we have a God who's looking to see your life transformed so that we can meet the needs of other people. And you know when we said about the life of the invisible? We can read about so, much, so many great heroes, the heroes of faith. Look at the heroes of faith through Hebrews chapter 12. How many of them came from a noble position? The scripture I love is about Ezekiel. Uh, not Ezekiel, sorry, for uh, Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite. Where is Tishbite? I haven't a clue. Because it says Elijah the Tishbite. Try and find Tishbite through the rest of scripture. It's the place of invisible. But what's the great thing that we have, like Elijah, in that place, Drollsden, the place of dry dens, the place where nothing good can or will grow, you came. So if God can take a Tishbite and use him, can he not use you? Can he not use me? You see, sometimes we get spiritually spooky and it's how much I've prayed and it's how... Many times I've fasted this week, and it's how many times I've thrown myself on him. And it's how many times I wore my hair shirt. How many times I flagellated myself. All of the stuff, if I draw myself down that line, I actually don't smell of God anymore. I smell a religion. A stink of form. People look at me, and they're the one who wants to go, you're a hypocrite, rather than, do you know what? I'm like you. I screwed up this week. But I've got, as Andy had said this morning, seven times through the Old Testament, the word grace is mentioned. Almost every chapter through the new one. 
I'm saved by grace. I'm held by grace. I live by grace. I'm a pursuer of grace. I'm a pursuer of righteousness. I'm being changed from one degree of glory to the next. If you wait to be right, to be perfect, to feel holy, to get to the place where you just think, I'm God's answer to the world. I have, you've just turned up, it's now. God is Simon Cowell. He's on the front. I step onto the platform, say, why are you going to make it? Because I've got the God X factor. Jog on. You know, because you're never going to feel like that. And the times when you do feel like that, it's normally because you're full of you, you're full of arrogance, and you're the one who can fix the world. But that, I'm not speaking to anybody else this morning. I'm only speaking to David and Veronica who put their hands up. <laughs> you know, it's when you're normally like that. It's when you think that you've got nothing to bring that you find out maybe you have. You come to the end of you in the beginning of God. What about bringing the kingdom into business? Now, it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met them who brought her masters much profit by foretelling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim us. Now, listen, not every testimony is a good testimony, even when they say you're on God's side. They proclaimed the way to us of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And they came out that very hour. But when her master saw that the hope of their prophet was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. When they, they wasn't bothered, but when they saw the hope of their prophet had gone, things turned around. It's amazing if I just used, if I just said to you this morning, we don't have time to go into it, but it's very interesting. Sit down with a certain Mr. Duffield in the corner over there, Andy, one time in a coffee shop, and just getting to tell you of how many times the God encounter comes when he's in a business meeting, when God has turned something around. And we're not looking like I sold 50 business cards this week, multi-million pound deals being made and situations being turned around because God gave the right word at the right time because you tuned your ears, you stepped into peace and rest and allowed you to be a conduit for God to flow. Where opposition was broken, where everything looked like they said this is dead and will never turn around, God says, when it's on my agenda, it's turning around. All he's looking for is for you. Now, Mary, you didn't hear this because you was in hospital at the time, but I was sharing the testimony with the guys about how we can't misrepresent him. How it's easy to stand here this morning and say, do you know what? We believe that there's a God who heals. We believe there's a God of breakthrough, that we have to be the conduit that God's looking for you. Is that all true? And I shared the testimony where Mary was in hospital. We'd we'd been there and we'd encouraged Mary and she was very poorly and she'd shared all the stuff. And I said, right, Mary, we're going now. We'll continue to pray. And I started to walk away from the bed and she went, whoa, hang on a minute. Why not pray now? What do you mean pray now? Hang on. Nurse, doctor, families next door of somebody else, curtains open, all the ward looking at you, an enclosed ward that's probably not much bigger than the annex there. It's your turn, the spotlight's on, and Mary's there going, I'm ready. Right. Spotlight's on. What's the first thing that comes in? Every reason why you shouldn't. 
Well, Mary, we'll have a moment of silent prayer together. We'll hold hands and we'll just believe together. You nullify everything that I'm talking about this morning. But the first thing that comes in, bathroom light, enemy in the mirror. I've got nothing to say. What if I sound stupid? What if people listen? So you kind of pray without praying. Kind of, half under you, mumble a little bit. Amen. No, you've got to be able to declare and say, if we look at it, the marketplace, business, the temple, wherever you are, men stood because it was seen that or recognized that they had been with Jesus. When we're walking with him, when we're fellowshipping, as I grow more and more, I spend my daily time with him. I'm in the word. I'm building relationship. I learn to worship. We're together. We're sharing life. We're building as iron sharpens iron. We're developing and we're growing and we're pushing. And I realize I'm a conduit. I can't back out when it's my big moment. When it's your moment to shine, shine. See, many of us would sit there going, it's never me. It's never me. Why is it never me? Because when it is you, you don't. Can he call on us? Every saint is a minister. Every saint carries the same level. Different graces, but he meets us all at the same point. Every one of us can and should be activated in the gifts. Every one of us should be able to know the intimacy of walking with God. Every one of us has the power and privilege to demonstrate him. When you walk away from a situation, can it be said that you carried something? Now, I was sharing a, just a conversation just this, this week with Kev. We was out and I said it was amazing because we were talking about anointing and different things and, and how you work. And I said it's, it's amazing how this little monster can come back and sit on your shoulder. Even now, after the years of doing things in different ways. And that would be, just say for instance, there would be David and I. We stood here and these people need praying for. So David and I pray for people together. So as we're praying for people together, somebody gets struck and laid out in the spirit. They go out in the spirit. First question, was that my prayer or his prayer? <laughs> Even, David said it's definitely his, so I'm not going to disagree. <laughs> but the issue is, even in the moment of being a conduit, we're already looking to see where the credit lies. We sang the song this morning that everything is returned back to him in praise. But at the moment, I'm going, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> I'm looking pretty hot. Tell me it's not true. Because if it was you, you'd be in exactly the same place. You don't sit there and suddenly think, well, this is it. Can I get my spiritual motor started? And your motor goes, and it's getting bigger and bigger. You're just in the moment. But when something happens, you're not giving God the glory. You're kind of walking on to the next one. You don't even have to say anything. It's just the look. But you know what's going on on the inside. Scripture says this. It says that man looks at the outside, but God is always looking at the heart. What we said about motives, hence the reason why when Pastor Tony turns around and says, what are your motives for doing what you do? Is it to be seen? Is it to look smart? Is it just to look clever? Is it look to look at me, I'm the man of power for the hour and words that we used to use in the past? Or is it a point of saying, 
let me introduce you to the God that I know. And when you bring him in, he wants to confirm his word. I can never heal. You can never heal. You're a conduit. The word says, pray for the sick. And the prayer of faith, offered up in faith, will see them healed. By his stripes, they're healed. He sent forth his word and he healed their diseases. You're just a conduit that starts to flow. But let me just pick up on something for you this morning. Because this is changing direction slightly from where I thought it was going. But let me share this with you. I'll use a term that I think you'll be familiar with. All that glitters is not gold. Just because somebody does the stuff doesn't mean they have a connection with God. Scary thought. Matthew 7 verses 21 declares this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not cast out demons? In your name, perform many miracles, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. The scary thing is this. If we can learn to tap into a spiritual dynamic and dimension, God will always honor his word, whether you're a clean vessel or you're not. The Apostle Paul says, some preach the gospel out of good motives, some out of bad motives. Either way, the gospel is being preached. My motive might be in front of everybody this morning to go, just show them or they, let them think that Phil's a superhero this morning. And I pull out 500 pounds, as you can see, I'm married, there's nothing in it. I pull out 500 pounds, I walk up to Carol and go, just in front of everybody this morning, Carol, I just want to bless you and Pastor Tony, there's, there's 500, just do with that whatever you want. It's just, that's for you, treat yourself. Did they get blessed? But what was my motive for doing it for? If I wanted to look a superhero in front of all of you, I'm going, I'm setting an example that all of you now feel that you should all go to your bank account, get your PIN number, take out some money and give it to Pastor Carol and Tony and say, go and do something like just bless yourself. The motive might be completely wrong. Somebody was still blessed. When it said that we prophesied in your name, were people blessed? We cast out demons in your name, were people blessed? We healed the sick. We're people blessed. Depart from me. I don't know you. It's not about what you do. It's the life that you carry. Remember that we're formed in his image. That all of the time, there's Paul, writer of 90% of the New Testament. The word declares this, that my name may know him and the power of the resurrection. I was laughing before with, with Paul and the musicians. We said it's amazing you know, because we were talking about the book of Romans, you know, some of the stuff, and, and it's a bit of, it takes a bit of chewing, the book of Romans in certain chapters. It takes a bit of chewing through. Said, it's amazing, there's Peter, the apostle, one of the inner three, walked with Jesus for all of that time, Mount of Transfiguration and everything. What did he declare? That Paul fella, he writes some stuff that's pretty hard to understand. Here's the apostle of the apostles saying Paul's hard. So I kind of think I'm in good stead if I don't always understand what he writes. It's not always easy, but all that glitters is not gold. The Corinthian church, if we look at it, we can find this. We see that they were working in miracles. They could prophesy. They were filled with the Spirit. 
every spiritual gift was recognized and operational in one church through the book of Corinthians. Has anybody ever read the book of Corinthians? Everything was all going strong. But Paul declares this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. If you have all of the stuff, you have all of the gifts, you've got everything flowing, but you've not got Christ as the centrality of what we are as an individual and as a house, you do more harm than good. I grew up and came into church in the early 80s. In the early 80s and 90s, there was a whole thing of how much of the anointing can a man have? And we chased the anointing. We were told and encouraged to chase the anointing. We were told that it was possible to steal another person's anointing. Terms like man of power for the hour. The, the whole meeting rested on whether you could drag it up by the bootlaces and bring God in at the end of the meeting like the man on the white horse who was going to save everything. It didn't know any better because church had been dry and barren and then we had a place of the spirit starting to flow. And as the spirit started to flow, people didn't know how to manage lives and how to work with God and work with the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of made up this kind of things that all seemed good at the time. But it was the ability to say that, oh, if I brush past Carol this morning and I bump into her, what was in her I've already got. I'll steal it. And you'd hear people go, be careful, I'm going to steal your anointing. They go, be careful, I'm going to punch you in the face. <laughs> that wasn't the nice fill then. But you then felt, here's the thing, it builds a culture of, I won't say fear, but it builds one of uncertainty, and it builds a culture, never trust anybody else. Because why is somebody trying to get near me? Somebody's trying to get near me because they're trying to steal from me. They're trying to steal that I've got that word. And if I've got revelation that I've got from God and God spoke to me in my quiet time, Carol might steal it. Then if she steals it, I've got nothing. What help is that to anybody? You've heard Pastor Tony say in the past, you know, we don't stand here with sequin jackets on. Saying, look at us, look, answer to the world. <laughs> Written on the back with your world tour dates on. We're meant to be salt and light. We're meant to be carriers. If nothing else this morning, just grab hold of little old you is who God wants to deal with. Little old you will go through the process. He will move you from one degree of glory to the next. But will you allow him to do it? Gifts will open the door, but only character will keep you. I rub myself a note and I put it in big letters on my pad so that I didn't miss it. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. Gifts are given, fruit is grown. Because you can have a spiritual gift and be immature with that gift for the rest of your Christian life. You never take it through, you never build with it, you never expand on it. You never experience the greatest things that you can push through to be a help to anybody else. You just hold it onto yourself and it's you and God in your little back bedroom. You're having your moment together. But the fruit of the spirit must be grown in your life. We also understand and we know as a house 
that everything that God departs and deposits into us, he gives us in seed form. It's our job to nurture the seed, to water the seed, to make sure it's in good soil, where those who are doers are not just hearers. We push things through. But you know, the great thing is this, immaturity of gift, immaturity of you connecting with God will be like Paul said, more harm than good. Now, let me give you a great um, illustration and, and understanding of this. It made me laugh. It made me laugh, but only made me laugh for a minute because I kind of could picture myself in this environment. You know, like we've said about the disciples and we read the scripture before, they were unlearned men and unschooled, but it seen or they'd been recognized that they'd been with Jesus. These guys thought they were the bee's knees. They were the entourage to the Justin Bieber of his day. So Jesus is opening every door and they are in the VIP lounge. They're at every party. They're everywhere they're supposed to be. But guess what? Most of the time, they haven't a clue what's going on. Most of the time, they haven't a clue what's happening. They just realize that if I do what he tells me to do, it works. Write that down. If I do what he tells me to do, it works. Whether they were sent out as 12 or whether they were sent out in the 72, they came back with all the stuff. We healed in your name. We cast out demons in your name. And Jesus went, shut your face. Look, I've seen Satan fall like lightning. Don't get above your station here, boys. They stepped into something. But the amount of times you read through the Gospels and they said to Jesus separately or privately, they said, what the heck were you talking about today? Because they haven't a clue. They're there going, yeah. Yeah, listen, yeah. What? They haven't a clue, but they're just doing nodding in all the right places. But then you get this wonderful scripture. Love it from Luke chapter nine. Now, remember, these guys, they're the superheroes. So they've already worked out, if I was a superhero, what would it be? And so you've seen them there. They've, they've already designed their own outfits. I'm going to be the super fisherman. I've walked on water. You can imagine it, can't you? The outfits that would be coming along, well, in my mind, anyway, Marvel Comics has just kicked in. The disciples seeing themselves as super spiritual. They've got all the answers to everything, even though they don't know anything. They think they've got everything. But this is the scripture. Luke 9, 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, this is the story backdrop, was they were meant to go into Samaria. But the Samaritans didn't want them to come. They said, jog on, we don't want to know. Said, so when they saw this, Lord... Do you want us to come and call down fire from heaven to consume them? And Jesus replied, he rebuked them. Do you not know what kind of spirit you are from? Uh, the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Immaturity of gift was this. Step out. I'm connected to the source. Hey, let's wipe them out. If we're going to make a show, make a show. Pulls open his shirt. He's got Son of Thunder on it. Son of Thunder t-shirt. Big kind of electric fork on the thing. Let's just call down a bit of fire. Why does he do that? He does that because he remembers the story that he's been told from two kings. And in two kings, Elijah, when they came to challenge Elijah, wouldn't accept the word. He went, let's just call. If I'm a man of God, a prophet of God, let fire just come down and consume him. They got ideas so above their station that they went, let's just wipe out a city. If we're going to make a statement, let's make a statement. Did they believe that that would happen? Could they have done it? The point was their immaturity does more harm than good. We say about being a conduit, 
We say about speaking in love. We say about working in the lives of other people. Be transformed by the renewing, not removal of your mind. Shall I give you a one-on-one course, basic principles, human resources? If you act like an idiot, the chances are you're an idiot. Your desire to see things changed, if you do it without wisdom, will cause you more problems. Doesn't matter, I won't use a name, but the person's no longer with us. Once came, uh, came sat down and said, I've got a real problem at work. So what's the problem? I'm under massive persecution. Why under persecution at work? Well, it's like this. I've been witnessing in work, uh, and I've been witnessing, and I was telling people, then I uh, took some, somebody out of work, and we, I was praying for them in their little private room, uh, and then somebody heard about that, and then I was praying for their mom, and then whatever. So why are you being persecuted? Because my boss said, if I continue to act like a Christian in work, I'm going to be sacked. I went, if I was your boss, I'd sack you. Why? Because do that in your time, not in the time that you're being paid to do your job for. If you act like an idiot, the chances are you're an idiot. It's not that sometimes you can't meet a moment, you can't talk to somebody. I'm not saying that or else it just pushes everything out of what I've said this morning. If you suddenly feel that you can have your telephone box moment, rip open your shirt and be the answers to the world's problems, make sure that it's in a good place, at a good time, that people understand context. Or it's one of those, Veronica, I just feel the Lord has told me, I need to tell you this today. And I just tell you, it might be right what I'm saying it, but what I'm, the way I say it destroys her. You know, there was one time, I'll, I'll, I'll share it because it was about me, so it doesn't make any difference. But somebody came to me one morning and said, Phil, I, I, I just want you to forgive me. And you know, like when you don't, you've not spoke to somebody that much and you kind of go, forgive you, what am I forgiving you for? And this, this, this lady said to me, I just want you to forgive me. Why? Because I never have liked you. You go, <laughs> I've never liked you. And God challenged me this, this week in my prayer, in my prayer time. And I just think I need to put it right. And you go, right. I've got, right, great. Thanks, thanks, I'm blessed now. And they walk away. Guess who's now got a problem? <laughs> the person who didn't need to know that you had a problem. <laughs> it's all right, I've got over it. I had some counseling, I stroked myself, I'm all right. But somebody comes along and just drops that into the midst. Do you know when... Um, Pastor Tony almost got himself in a hole the other week when he was saying there were some things you should talk about, other things you don't talk about. Tell your wife about this, but don't tell your wife about that. And it was getting deeper and deeper. And we're going, aisle three, clean up, aisle three. You know, one of those. We knew the context he was saying, but in trying to explain, principle number one, write this down. Fellas, especially write this down. Law of the hole. When you're in one, stop digging. Stop digging. Because the hole only gets deeper, yeah? But he was trying to explain that if there is something that God challenged me about, that I didn't necessarily have to go and say, if I was Pastor Tony, I didn't have to come and say, the Lord challenged me about the way I was thinking in this area. There were certain things that's between you and God. It's been dealt with, it's out of the way. If you have a problem with me, or a problem with another person, and they don't know about it, don't tell them. They don't need to know. 
because you've walked away skipping on the <laughs> skipping skipping on the spiritual heights, but you've left somebody wounded and cut on the floor. And then somebody goes, "Yes, but you know what Proverbs says: better the wounds of a friend. No, better no wound. Better no wound than the wounds of a friend." But we push through. But you see this wonderful thing that when I gave you the illustration about the disciples saying, shall we call down thunder from heaven or fire from heaven to destroy them? Proverbs is a wonderful book and it declares this. I like it because it falls in Phil language. Even an idiot looks smart when they keep their mouth shut. What is recorded here? It's recorded immaturity for you and I to learn from. How many conversations did the disciples have with Christ that are never, ever recorded? Why does he record this one? Because we're saying this is not the pattern. This is where you mess up, not get it right. So there are times the best thing you can ever say, nothing. And if you're me, that's difficult. Because I'll bite me lip, I'll say something, this will really help. And sometimes, like we've just said, clean up, aisle three, I'll just made everything worse. But you know, the wonderful thing is this. What we've experienced over the last three or four years, especially as a house, is that as God is starting to move, remember the scripture that says, and it's like the oil that's poured on Aaron's head, runs down his face on his beard and covers all his garments. We're seeing that what started to come into the main church is touching the youth, is touching kids' church, is touching crash. It's starting just to pour down. How were we moved earlier this year? I think it was earlier this year. My calendar flips all over the place, whether it was earlier this year or the end of last year. When young Samuel, seven, just steps up and brings the prophetic word to the house. Why? Because what's happening in here is happening in the rest of the groups. Like Pastor Tony has said so many times, your kids are not being babysat when you send them into each room. They're connecting to the same God that you're connecting to. And they find it easier. Do you know, I was, when I shared the story about Kevin praying for his neighbor, I was sat with uh, Tony and I, who was in the gym, was doing some stuff, just having a rest. And... Um, I said to him, I said, do you know what your problem is, Tony? I said, and your problem is my problem. We carry the same problem. He said, what's that? I said, we've been in church too long. I said, we've been in church so long that we now have church illiteracy. You know what illiteracy used to be? The inability to read, write, and do arithmetic. That was illiteracy. 21st century illiteracy is the ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And what we find is, whether we deal in the lives of other people or I deal in my life, it's the stuff that people have put on you for year on year, year on year, that God has to strip out that becomes the stumbling block for getting back down to the basics of him saying, it starts with little old you. All I need you to do is do what I say. And if it doesn't work, do it again. And if it doesn't work, do it again. And if it doesn't work, do it till it works. 
The story of Reinhard Bonnke went like this, and on this I'm going to finish. Reinhard Bonnke, the uh, German evangelist who'd been used greatly across the world, signs and wonders, um, evangelistic campaigns, huge. Back in the day when you used to have um, Christ for the Nations posters come out into your churches or the newsletters come out, you'd see it go 350,000 people in one event. You go, that's a lot of people. Turning up, he said, and one day he was sat there and he got a bit of ideas above his station. He said, Lord, we've seen so many hundreds of thousands saved. We've seen so many healed. We've seen somebody raised from the dead this week. We pull all the stuff. And God said to him, you don't get ideas above your station, son. You were my third choice. Because there was two people before you who wouldn't go. You were my third choice. If you learn just to get to that place of saying, I will respond. And he went on from that story to say, if I look back in my formative years, how God started to work in me. He said, when he did call me, I went to a hospital. And he said, I really believed, I've been praying, I've been fasting. God was going to use me in signs and wonders. I was going to be used in divine healing. I went to the hospital, was called to somebody's bedside, prayed for them. They died. What does that do to you in your inner core when you believe God's called me to be part of the answer and to pray for the sick? They die. He went away and sought God. God said nothing. The opportunity went to go and pray for somebody in hospital. He prayed for them. They died. Number three, prayed for them. They died. The first three people that he prayed for died. Does that not put you into some kind of mad internal spin about the best thing for me to happen is keep my hands in my pockets and my mouth shut? But he prayed for the fourth and they raised. And the fifth and they raised. And he was at a conference and somebody had a question and answers and there was a journalist in the meeting. They said, Mr. Bonke, if you prayed for eight people to receive their sight and they didn't receive the sight, what would you do? He said, I would pray for the ninth. General law in life is very, very simple, whether it's spiritual or natural. Do it until you get good at it. If you're uncomfortable making friends and talking to new people, keep talking to new people until, you're not, <laughs> until it's not a stumbling block for you. If you find it hard to keep a secret, learn to keep a secret. If you find it hard to say, well, I don't like standing in front of people, do it until you can do it. The benefit to you and to other people, it's basic principles. The spirit is if you're waiting to feel all of a sudden like there's a Disney moment, stars and smoke appear above you in a big arc, and an angel appears with a trumpet and says, Dawn, this is the morning. When it's for you to speak, it's your moment to rise and shine in the sun. Don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. He's looking for obedience but as we know we have different graces and he fits us in the body just as he chooses fit we can't all do the same thing good we don't all celebrate the same thing good we don't all worship the same way good you don't all have my sense of rhythm good <laughs> but you know on this thought as we've said that the authentic sonship course starts this week it's a place to see things fit. It's a place to see things brought into alignment. It's a place to 
bring clarity. But here's the thought we finish with. We're at the place as a house and individuals where there are no more excuses. Once you've been taught, once you've been trained, it's no longer that you can't. It's I won't. Let's never get to the place of I won't. Once you've been trained, go and do. Just go and be a people that do. I've got CDs at home, take them from floor to ceiling. I've got MP3s I could listen to that take up half your hard disk. But what changed? Go and do. Because it starts with little old you, little old me. Because the people you've seen in the last few weeks, their testimony is our testimony. And our testimony is my testimony. And let me just share this one thing. I've closed, look, done, gone. Share this. I believe the testimony this morning of Ralph sharing was as great as the testimony of the healing. And if you know Ralph, you know how hard it was for him to stand here this morning, pick up the mic and say something. Because if you're looking at the invisible man, you just found him, he's at about six foot 16. <laughs> he's got to be that tall because I'm six foot one. It's just as hard for him to stand here and share. But I cannot stay silent when God has moved and I'll give God the glory. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. I never got to the place this morning of being giddy. Well, that was all right. Because maybe what he wanted to say was being said. But I hope you got the point this morning. It starts with you. You don't have to be special. It starts with obedience. You hear his voice, you go and do. If it doesn't work, do it again. Pray for the sick, go back again. Look for opportunities. Be salt and light. Amen. Come on, church. Let's just raise our hands as we finish. Lord, we want to thank you that your hearts are together. And for us, Lord, we thank you, my God. Father, you call us into the body. You sit as Lord, just as you seek fit. Lord God, Father, it's no good the hand saying I want to be an eye and the eye saying I want to be an ear. But Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name this morning, Father, for a touch of your grace, a touch of your healing hand upon us. But Lord God, Father, we thank you for this season of acceleration. But Lord God, Father, I pray, Father, with a great excitement that Lord, as we step into you this week again and as we meet on Thursday night, that Lord God, Father, you will encounter us in such a way that our lives will be transformed. That Lord God, we don't want a church life. Father, we need a God life. That, Father, we're carriers of you and not carriers of a church. Lord God, Father, we are living stones. You build us block on block, precept upon precept. And Lord God, Father, I pray this morning, we do from thankful hearts, thank you for the testimonies that have been shared in-house. Thank you for where you've been breaking through, for the healings, Lord God. For, Father, more things that we don't even know about yet. But, Lord God, we want to say to you, we will not go down into silence. We will not be those who just become so familiar with what you do. We thank you, Lord God. We're amazed at you and what you do in our lives daily. Transform us, change us, but more of all, Lord God, build the Christ. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.